the plunge into the test from Wednesday night online. Well, don't don't raise your hand like you're ashamed. Like raise your hand like you actually took it. How many? I know, I know more of you took it. Some of all of you texted me and called me and told me what you were and all this, right? So here's one thing you got to you got to learn about the the test that that we take. It's not just revealing who you are. Of course, it does that. But some of it you can look at as like a warning sign. You know, especially when you're married and we're talking about, you know, how to stay married, how to be happily married, how to how to build relationships, not just with, with our, our, our spouses, but relationships with other people in the world and, and knowing who we are. So, so you get those warning signs of things that maybe you should stay away from and you get warning signs of, of, of how things can change with your emotions and stuff. So, so we looked at some of that and I thought it was funny because today I've entitled the, the message warning signs. Um, so how many of you have ever had one of those little lights on in your car? All right, look around the room. Anybody not raising their hand is a rich little snob. The rest of us are, as Marty called me earlier, those country boys that just got to drive old vehicles for a living, right? Keep, keep your hand up, keep your hand up, keep your hand up. How many of you have done something about the light? I mean, hold on. Oh, I did that backwards. I'm sorry. Keep your hand up if you've had a light on in your dash. Now put your hand down if you've done something about the light. Oh, this is so perfect. All right, everybody look around. There's only one man with his hand up and all the rest are women. That was, oh, two men. I'm sorry. I don't want to leave Gary out, right? Women have a tendency to keep on driving unless it's a gas light. Oh, right. If it's a gas light, they know they're supposed to stop them. (laughs) That's the face I'm looking for from everybody. Why can't everybody else have that face right there? Our temperature light, we learned how to, how to use <laughs> Alan, you ruined this for all men. You're never living down your driving experience with running out of gas. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying. When that light comes on, you've got choices to make. You, you really do. Now, some of you put your hands down because you were foolish enough to pay a mechanic thousands of dollars to cut the light off. Some of you, like me, I said, did you do something about the light? I didn't say, did you get the light cut off? See, I've had... <laughs> you guys are too perfect for this, man. So, so some of you are like me, and you're driving a, a 06 F-150 that's had a light on <laughs> since 07. <laughs> right, right? But I know why the light's on. <laughs> All right, it's because I took the Cadillac converters off, so all of you economic people can hate me for that. Um, but <laughs> you just got to know that you've done something. Now, my favorite thing is when I get in the customer's car, and I know there's a lot of lights on because one side got lights on, but then they got like tape and pictures and stuff that you know wouldn't normally be there on the other side. So, I, and I'm a nosy person, so I kind of fold that picture back, and it looked like a Christmas tree. On that side, you know what I'm saying? But they did something about the light. Some of you at least go to advance and get that free diagnosis. Some of you fix it yourself. Some of you don't do anything about the light. And here's what we need to understand. Warning lights are there for a reason. And how you handle the warning light could possibly determine what happens to your vehicle. If you get it checked out, you know, another example. So our Honda's got a a check engine light on too. Um, Everything but the Explorer. Way to go, Crystal. Uh, you know, so, so, but we know what it is, right? So it's nothing major. So we're going to keep on riding that 97 Honda until she blows up. Uh, but we wanted to make sure it wasn't other. So we've checked it out. Now, if you never check out the light, 
man, you risk a lot of major problems and a lot of major danger. People so far in life have not started checking out the lights so bad. I don't, many, don't raise your hand on this one. You're really throwing yourself, okay? If your light stays on long enough and the problem gets major enough, the light will not only flash, it will begin to blink and flash if it gets more serious. Now, I'm wondering what kind of what kind of mechanic guy had to know that we were going to ignore the light so much that just the check engine light isn't enough. It needs to flash if the problem gets more major. I think Solomon's got some flashing issues that are coming up, and I think a lot of us have lights on that we haven't checked out, and maybe we have checked out and we've just chosen to neglect. And I think today, sometimes some of those lights that have been on are going to start flashing um, with whatever they are. So if you look at chapters nine and 10, like we just read, we get a lot of warning signs, warning signs about Solomon, warning signs about the, the people. And Solomon chooses not to address these issues, at least not in a positive way. So the question then is for us today, because it's not just a history lesson. What are you going to do with your warning signs? What are you going to do when you notice things that, that Solomon's gone through? What are you going to do with the, the warnings that are there, the signs that are there? Will you choose to acknowledge them and change something about them? Or will you keep on chugging along? Let's look at this thing. Chapter 9 first. God appears to Solomon again. Now, I get a little jealous of Solomon, if I can be honest with you guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he's already gotten to talk to God once. Right. Remember when God said, I'll give you anything you want. Solomon said, I want the wisdom to lead your people. Notice what how he requests. Now, I'm not let me stand in the middle. I'm not 100 percent sure this is all right, but I think it's pretty close. Right. So he requests what? I want the wisdom to lead your people and to make decisions. That was that was his specific request, because I think Solomon's an idiot in a lot of the, area, the areas of life. Would anybody else agree with me or am I the only one who wants to be an honest Christian this morning and sound judgmental of a, someone in the Bible? Right. I'm being honest. Like some of the stuff Solomon does to get 900 wives. You know what I'm saying? Like Marty commended me on how good of a husband I am. That's because I never want any more trouble. I got enough. You know what I'm saying? Later. There it is again. I'm gonna keep getting it. I like it. I'm gonna do it till the rest of the women catch on with you. Okay? So so you can you can you can get your women rights moving with the rest of them, or they can just sit there with you, right? So, so, so here's Solomon. He gets a bunch of women. That ought to be a sign. But he chooses not to pay attention to it. Deuteronomy has hundreds of verses about what a king should and shouldn't acquire. He doesn't pay attention to them. And I think it's because when he asked for this wisdom, God gave him exactly what he wanted. Right? He gave him wisdom to lead the people. He becomes a great leader. He, he asked for wisdom to make decisions. He's able to make great decisions. So much so. That's why we skipped over chapter 10 because we looked at it in chapter 4. That Queen Sheba comes there to check it out. Like, he's that good. But he didn't ask for wisdom in life decisions. He didn't ask for wisdom in following God. He didn't ask for wisdom in combating the flesh. He didn't ask for wisdom in battling temptation. And I think there's what gets him in a lot of trouble along the way with some of this stuff. So look at this thing. God appears to Solomon again. Verse 1. When Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house, 24 years after he's been king. Remember, he took four years to gather material. Uh, seven years to build the temple, 13 years to build his own house. We talked about how much trouble he probably was already in for taking twice as much time to build a house for himself than a house for God. Uh, but he gets all this. And now now he's at a stage in life after completing his greatest accomplishments. Anybody ever had that moment in life where, where, you, where, you, where you've accomplished something? You would think like that's your greatest, your greatest accomplishment, you know, whether it was getting picked for an all star game at, at the age of 12 uh, whether it was getting a, a report card that was great, whether it was getting a raise, whether it was retirement from your job, retirement from your first job, and then you realized you couldn't live off retirement, so you had to get another job. Uh, different stages of life where we've accomplished 
something. And here's maybe one of our little first little warning signs. We got to be aware when the accomplishment of work sometimes means the relaxation of effort. That's where Solomon's at. He's got the accomplishment of work, but yet now he's getting into the mix of relaxation. effort. There's no more effort for Solomon. The only is for godly things. His effort now is going to result in what? Gathering stuff for me. Right? Gather stuff for himself. That's all he's going to do. That's all we talk about for both of these chapters right here, right? So there's a warning sign. Whenever, whenever you've accomplished something great, whether it be for your family, for God, for yourself, or whatever, don't fall into the mix of that relaxation ever where there's no more effort. There's no more trying. There's no more attempting. There's no more checking out. What does God really want me to do next? We think when we retire, like we, we've retired and I say, no, you've just retired from one stage of life. If, if retirement was it, well, then we could die after retirement, right? Now, I'm not saying you're, you're, one of your stages shouldn't be vacationing. That, there's a lot about rest in scripture, right? Jesus took naps. So I think naps are holy. Um, you know, maybe we should take more naps. Uh, so there's nothing wrong with that. Just make sure you know what stage, what stage you're in and what stage God wants you to be in. Okay. So you're like, I told you I could sleep when I get home on the couch, right? You got, got to wash the dishes and all already though. All right. And I want to point out something else about this first one. So if you look at verse one, you'll see the phrase, all Solomon's desire. Important because when you break it down in the Hebrew guys, this would be the same word, almost like a, like an erratic, uh, type love that we would use. That, that signifies a desire that a young man has after his mistress, that, 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 that a bride has after his bridegroom. And well, why is that so important? Because what is his desire for? Or, or what was his desire, you know, accomplished for? Look, look at verse one. When Solomon finished building the temple of Yahweh, the royal palace, and all that he desired to do. He developed such a desire for building stuff that the writer here in the actual Hebrew language talks about it being like a man desiring a woman. Do we understand how significant like this is? I got to point it out because when we read it in English, it doesn't really sound that bad, right? I mean, he accomplished all he desired to do. That's cool. No, he desired this way too much. Okay. He desired building massive stuff way too much, which, which the content clues are going to come. But if we don't understand that, we totally miss that this is the beginning of Solomon's fall. Really, I guess we could say that the beginning was back in, uh, what is it, chapter one where he marries uh, the Egyptian princess. But, you know, we'll get to that when he gets to these wise men. Second appearance. God comes to Solomon, verse three says, and God says, I have heard your prayer. I, I had to highlight that because what good is a prayer of God doesn't hear it, right? Nothing significant there other than that fact that, that we need to make sure we understand all of verse, all of chapter eight, if you weren't here last week, what was Solomon's prayer? I mean, he was praying to God. He was telling God everything. He was, he, he was going on and on about it. And God comes to him again the second time and he says, I've heard your prayer. Your prayer wasn't meaningless. Your words, they mean something because I've heard them. And what did I hear? And here's my response. I have concentrated, consecrated. This house that you've built, man, that's so important, guys. So important because you and I, we build physical things. We've got power to do the, the physical stuff. Solomon could have built this building, but this building was no good unless God sanctified it. You understand that you and I can build a life. Since we talked about last week that, that you and I become the temple, you and I can build a life. But if God doesn't sanctify it, it doesn't do any good. Now, what, what does sanctify? Sanctify is set apart. Set apart for what? Set apart for his purpose, not my purpose. Okay? We should look different. We should act different. You know, I, I, I remember when I, we used to go to the Y and stuff, and, and there'd be a, a couple um, Hebrew following guys, and, and, you know, they would wear these hats, and it was always, I mean, if you've seen them before, you know what I'm talking about, and you would think, man, that, they stand out. You know, it, it, other stuff that, that some of them wear, you know, the, the things on the belt buckles and stuff like that, it stands out. And, and they're, they're following literally 
the, the thing about sanctifying. They're set apart. They're standing out from the rest of the world. You and I, we, we ought to not always need a, a hat or, or something on a belt loop or, 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 or fancy clothes to do it. We should be standing out from the rest of the world. We should have been sanctified by God, set apart from the rest of the world. We should be standing out for a difference. And God says, look, I, uh, Solomon, I've looked at what you built and, and I do that. I sanctify what you built. Man builds, God sanctifies. And we've got to be careful to realize that because, guys, we build the outward and the mechanical, but it's God that does the inward and the spiritual. I can preach all day long. And other of you can teach scripture and preach all day long. But that's only the outward. If God doesn't speak to the inward, then that power is gone to no avail. The efforts have gone to no avail. Verse four. He says, now, if you walk before me, this, this whole section, I don't know if you guys catch it, but it's almost like God knows everything. I mean, did you get that vibe? I got that vibe when I read it. It's almost like God knows the future, right? Because he says, you built this place. I, con- I, I constant, constant, I ordained this place. Why well, try to say hard words, right? <laughs> I ordained this place for, for my will, sanctify it for, for my things, right? Now, verse four, if you walk before me as your father David walked, then I will establish your throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. God's follow through is a condition. He says, if Solomon, you walk before me with faithfulness, then I will promise to do my part, right? It's funny how God never had these talks with David. I mean, we've, we've gone through Samuel. We've, we've gone through even into to Judges with some of the previous ones. And you don't ever see God sitting down and telling them repeatedly. How many times does he tell Solomon this phrase? I think we're on like three or four already. And I got news for you. Solomon only makes it for like one or two more chapters. <laughs> so his reign's coming to an end quickly on this decline here. Right? But But repeatedly, he's had to tell Solomon... Solomon, things are going well for you. And if you walk in my way, you walk like your father walked, then I promise to do my part and take care of everything and bless everything. This is the condition. Almost like God knows, Solomon, you got to. Has God ever warned you multiple times about something? Now, we laugh about Solomon because we do know the outcome and we do know the fall. And yeah, the thing is funny that, of course, God knows the future. But let's be honest. How many people has God put in your life that have given you constant warnings about not doing something? And staying away from something, yet you choose to ignore them. When we're teenagers, it's our mama and our daddies. It is. I didn't realize it at the time either. But when they constantly tell you, nothing good happens after dark. Nothing good happens after 10. Nothing good. It's almost like they're trying to compromise with you. They're like, for God's sake, just listen to one of these time frames. Nothing good happens after 11. Nothing good happens after midnight. Oh, for heaven's sake, just come home safe. Right? They're, they're constantly warning us. Don't do that. Don't hang out with them. I don't get a good vibe about them. And then you get in trouble with them and you're like, oh, that's what mom went. Right? Don't date that girl. She's crazy. Huh? And then we're like, oh, she was right. Don't date that boy. He's a loser. He's going to amount to nothing. Mamas and daddies ain't always as foolish as we think they are. Okay. They got some good, they got some good sense in them a lot of times. Think about our friends. You surround yourself with good God. Now, that just comes from godly people. Now I'm not telling you to listen to some hobo on the street tell you who you shouldn't and who you should and shouldn't hang out with. I'm talking about godly, godly warning set up. But you got that friend, you know, who tells you, man, I, I don't know if we should do that. Right. Or you got a spouse. You know, y'all talk about her being my helpmate. That, that's that's my warning light. You know what I'm saying? Like I'll bounce an idea and she'll be like, don't go there. The stupid things I say that make it out there. I didn't clear them with her first. For one of two reasons, either I knew she would turn it down or it didn't come to me till too late. One of the two. Right. We got we got those things set up for us, though. But do we listen to them? 
Now, now Solomon's is even greater. So, so I guess that's why we're so hard on him. He's got God himself repeatedly saying, Solomon, if, then I, if, then I, if, then I. It's like God knew the temptation that was coming his way, right? And notice, God doesn't demand a perfect obedience from Solomon. What did he tell him? If you walk like David walked. Was David perfect? Heck no. You know what David's greatest attribute was that we never even, I mean, other than us who have gone through the, the, the scriptures on him? You know, we talk about him being a warrior. We even talk about him being handsome. We, we talk about this. Even in the movies that they make, they do all this stuff about it. You know what his greatest attribute was? He was a repentant person. That's it. We all get stuck on all this outside stuff. What's God looking at the whole time? He says, be like David. He's got a heart after me. What makes a heart after God? A heart that says, you know what? I was wrong. I need to change. I apologize. His longest is long. Now, I stayed in some traps. Some of y'all have heard me confess before. I stayed in a trap of hate for almost 10 years. That's a long time to stay in that trap, okay? So I advise you not to ever go there, right? But I did. I was dumb enough to do it. I didn't heed the warnings. I was a Solomon. Solomon's longest time of lack of repentance is a year. That's pretty darn good for the flesh, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's pretty, that's pretty top notch, right? And, and that's all he's telling him. So, so what I want us to understand is this. God has commanded Solomon to do something that's possible. Because we act sometimes like God calls us to do things that we can't. How in the world am I going to do that? You can do this. You can make mistakes and you can be sorry for making mistakes. You see that how easy it is? Now, your goal is not to make mistakes. Don't leave it. Well, Pastor said I can make a mistake. I just got to apologize afterward. No, it's got to be sentimental and real, okay? Look at this. David's guys should be repentant. Six through nine. This morning gets even, even deeper. It's almost like this is the flashing light. So for those of you that had a light on and it didn't flash, now the light is flashing. All right, you got it? But... If you are your sons at all, notice that at all, right? Turn from me, then I'm going to cut off Israel from the land. We got like this positive thing followed by this negative thing. God is promising, if you don't follow me, then, then I'm going to correct your disobedience. Right? It, it's almost like a, like a parent to a child. If you touch that, I'm going to touch that. Right? If you go there, I'm going to take this. If you're late, there's going to be some consequences, right? We we set those things up because good parents do that. So if you're thinking, my parent doesn't do that. Well, your parent's not good, and I'm telling you that right now. You laugh. I'm serious, right? Scripture says don't let your children run around like a bunch of heathens. Do something about them. Train them up. Ain't the church's job to train them or the school's job to train them. It's your job to train them, all right? There's for that. That's That one's free for you. All right, verse 7. We won't go too long on that because I could. Verse 7. Israel's going to become like a proverb. This promise gets even deeper. Everyone who passes by will be astonished at what he has. I, I really like, I don't know which one Crystal put up there, so I apologize. I really like if you've got the living Bible. Now, y'all know I read 25 translations a week on stuff to try to get the best I can at it, right? But And this, this isn't the best translation. I just think this is good for us, right? 9-7, Israel become like a joke to the nations. Now, that's some real-life language right there, right? What's God saying? God's saying, just like I've done since the very beginning, I want to bless you guys so much that people like the Queen of Sheba travel to ask you how you got blessed so much. But at the same time, and I want people to come, and I want them to recognize, like the Queen of Sheba recognizes, that your God, Yahweh, has done this. But at the same time, if y'all act like a bunch of little brats, I'm going to punish you to say, I'm going to punish you so much that when people walk by, they will laugh. You will become like a joke to them. Right? God is telling them flat out, man, this, we don't like this, but this is real talk right here, right? Because I'm going to chastise you if I need to, right? But look, it goes even deeper as we get into the understanding now of this thing. And this is kind of like a, 
like a backlash. So if you're watching a movie, this would be like a flashback, right? 10 through 14. How did Solomon, the means Solomon got for building these projects. So, so we've already studied this, so we can go through it kind of quick. 10 through 14, he gathered a bunch of lumber and a bunch of gold, right? Everything's the best lumber. Everything's the best gold. Verse 11, King Solomon then gave uh, Hiram, that's the guy he got all this stuff from, 20 cities in the land of Galilee. That sounds like a pretty good deal, right? I mean, we talked about him having like, what is that, a billion dollars worth of material coming in all the time, right? All this cost, all these labors, all this stuff, and he's just trading some land? But what was the land? Or who was the land from? Let's even look at it. Before we realize it's not good land, let's look at who the land was from. Who, whose land? Who gave Israel the land? I hope we know this or we will go all the way back to Exodus. Mess with me. We will start back over on our verse by verse, right? Who gave God the land? Who gave Israel the land? God. Oh, my gosh. Y'all said I was a good pastor. That's a sucky pastor if you don't know that God gave him the land, right? Come on, man. Come on. Yes, God gave it to him. So if God gave you something, what makes you think you could give it to somebody else for selfish greed and motives? Now we see. Now we see why this wasn't even a good deal then. Now, I think it's show I think it's showing something more than that. Now, I do think it's a warning sign. Solomon's messing up. He's giving away stuff that God has, has blessed the nation with and, and all that. But I think it's also showing us that, that Solomon is a shrewd dealer. Like he's he's a businessman. Right. A businessman sees how much money he can make. Right. Sees how productive he can be, right? Because what, what, what does the verses say? 12 through 13. Let, let's look at them one more time again. So we know if you weren't with us, uh, this guy here in this getting this stuff, he provided everything. All the great logs. He sent workers because he had the best um, craftsmen of wood and all that. He sent everything to make this place great, okay? So this is this is now, Solomon says, everything's done. Now it's time to pay up. I got a debt that's due. I got to pay up, right? So uh, verse 12. So he gives him this stuff. And then verse 12 says, so here and went out from Tyre and he looked over the towns of Solomon and Gibeon. You imagine you get the deed to like 20 pieces of land, right? You're like, yeah, you got 20 pieces of land. I'm going to go check them out. You bought swamp land, right? That's what he's got because it says this right here. It says he looks over the towns of Solomon and Gibeon, but he was not pleased with them. Man, I bought a garbage pile, right? I mean, in essence, that's what some of this stuff is, right? So verse 13, so he said, where are these towns you've given me, my brother? Or what are these towns? So, so, he, so he goes on and says, look, man, I really ain't happy. What you bless me like? What what are what have you given me for this? So he called them the land of. You know what that means? Nothing. You could answer it easily without even knowing, right? He said he's flat out saying, like, like you giving me nothing. You give me worthless land in place of this, right? And they're still called this today. Now I want to record something just because this verse says it. Because people ask me all the time when we read a verse like it, it was. It was named there. It was there until this day, right? You're like, man, that stuff's still there right now. No, no, no. It was there when they wrote this letter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so many people said, we just we just take a field trip. We go check it out because it's still there to this day. The Bible verse said it. No, the Bible said it was there when he wrote it. Doesn't mean it's there right now for you and I. Okay. It was written there two thousand years ago. It's still there. There's more than that now. But anyway, long story short, no. When it says to this day, that does not mean today. That means that day. All right. That one's, that one's there for you, too. All right. So he, so he gets into this thing and the, the guy's unhappy about this stuff and all that, obviously. Right. And, and here's what it says. And here's what we need to understand. This another warning sign for Solomon. What is Solomon actually paying Hiram with? His leftovers. Right. 
Let's get honest for a minute, okay? Let's just be real with one another. We see what we're getting ready to see is we see the love of things and the unwillingness to let go of good stuff. That's what we're honestly getting ready to look at. Okay? We we see the heart and the motive of the giver, which Jesus goes into talking a lot about, right? Even when he talks to his disciples about all these guys are dropping these big checks and and this lady comes up and drops two coins and ain't really worth nothing but a penny. But he what does he tell them? That lady. That lady is the real giver because she gave out of all she had rather than these guys that are given out of the abundance, right? Now, let's get real for a minute. How many of us gather up things and go give them to those in need and we feel good about it? Here's a kicker, ready? But all those things we gave them was stuff we was getting ready to take to the junk pile anyway. No one ain't no one wants to amen that one, huh? How does Bodie say if you can't amen it, you got to ouch it? Right? That should be an ouch. It's ouch for me too. Right, we gather up all this stuff. And we even make ourselves feel good about it. Oh, look at all this clothes I'm giving away. Look at these shoes. These were the best shoes ever in 1971. But I'm going to give them up now. Right? Right? Or, or we give a car away that doesn't run. I gave that car to the Kidney Foundation. You think somebody done gave a Lexus away. What'd you give them? 1972 Pinto that the motor was locked up in. <laughs> Wow. Well, good for you, right? That's the problem. So you need to ask yourselves this when we look at this as a warning light, right? Do we give our best and our first? Or do we give like Solomon gives? We do it with offering. You know, we don't even preach a lot on offering, but we do it with it. Oh, God, I'll give you what's left over after I pay it. No. Anyway, God, says, God flat out says this, and he's going to get to this with, uh, with some stuff in, in the future for, for these people. But, but God even says, this, he goes, look, if you just give me the leftovers, keep it. Now, now, God's not just being stingy. He's just saying, look, I don't need your leftovers. It's a principle matter. I don't need any of it. Right? I'm the owner of everything. Right? So, so it's a principle matter. But, but if, you, if that's what you do, don't do it. You don't know why people ask all the time. They're still amazed. You guys still don't pass off or employee? How far behind are you on bills with COVID? We're more ahead this year than we've ever been. Now, we don't brag about it because it's not us. Right? But let's just be honest about it. Like, if you do stuff God's way, you don't have to worry about worldly stuff. Okay? People got to worry about that stuff and pass offering plates until they're full like 25 times. That's like an altar call where you, where you keep them going. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all been in some old old churches where, and we're going to sing this song one more time because there's just one more person that needs to come forward. You know why that last person comes forward? Because they're ready to go to lunch. The Holy Spirit ain't told that person to come forward at all. They just know you're going to keep singing one more time if you don't finally come forward at the end of the song. Okay? I've told you a hundred times. I can talk anybody into being baptized if I wanted to go back. I go back there with kids saving right now and give me 50 of them. The goal is not to baptize people and get people to come forward. The goal is to let God change their lives. Okay? Why, why in the world do we feel like we got to do more? Same thing with money. You know, I know of churches, this is no lie, where they will count the offering at the end and pass the plate again at the very end of the service if they didn't collect enough. What is that? What is that? You want to know why churches get a bad name on stuff? Because we're corrupt and we're idiots. Okay? Look at this. Let's move on. Man, I'm telling you, you know, <laughs> when our possessions, when our possessions become our most important thing, we have failed, guys. What does scripture tell us? We talk about the new covenant versus the old. You know what the new covenant says? Everybody talks about, oh, back in the day, it was so much hard. No, the new covenant says everything you own is God's. Now, the ones that didn't name in are like, holy crap. Right? <laughs> What do you mean everything? Like when you say everything, what do you, re- I mean everything. It's all God. You're just a steward of it. 
You know what I'm saying? How is your stewardship? That's what you're going to be judged off your stewardship over what God's blessed you with. Poor or rich. Okay? That, that, that's what he's getting at. Some of us are like Solomon. God's not going to bless us with the rich because he knows the future. He knows we can't handle it. Right? Look at this thing. We're going to give an account on how we handle these things. Or you can say it this way. We'll give an account on how these things handled us. Because that's what really happens sometimes. All right, let's move on. 15, I got two chapters to get through. I forgot. 15 through 24. I apologize. All right. Slave labor from leftover Canaanite people. Boy, if this doesn't sound familiar again. Am I right? You missed this. It's in previous series, right? Verse 15. This is the reason. Now, now notice this. I like how he says this. This is the reason for the labor force with King Solomon raised. This is an account is what our translation on the screen says, right? He's saying this is why we needed so much workers. Why did we need a massive labor force? Because what? Solomon wanted to build. You can use the same word. Massive buildings. You wouldn't need a massive labor force if you weren't building massive stuff. Does it make sense now? We see in the line. You see the warning sign? If you desire big, flashy stuff, you might have to do it the way God told you not to do it. A big, flashy labor force. Right? That's what's going on. You got to note this here, too, in this section at the beginning right here. This uh, the city of uh, Gezer, Gezer. This is on the road from Joppa to Jerusalem. Uh, been a powerful Canaanite city, right? Never included in, 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 in the land that God had blessed the Israelites with until the time of Solomon. Why we get a little, or some of our translations have a note. I don't know if all of them do. But we get this little note that tells us he got this. Why? It was a gift for marrying Pharaoh's daughter. Right? So, so that little note is just showing you how greedy he's getting, man. You marry somebody, you get a dowry, you get more, you get more, you get peace, you get more, you get more, you get peace, you get more, you get more, right? Now, the crazy part is it goes into this Pharaoh right here that really blows my mind, but I like the symbolism. Is this right here. We got Pharaoh doing what the people of Israel should have done. Because what does it say in verse 16? Pharaoh did what? This is the account of the force. Or, I'm sorry. <laughs> Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had attacked and captured the city, right? What did he do? Then he burned it down and killed all the Canaanites inside that lived in it. Then he gives it <laughs> as a dowry for Solomon's wife. Are you picturing the scene now? This is priceless if you don't get it. He's doing the same thing. Solomon just did to hear him. What ha- what did he do to the land? He killed everybody in it and he set a fire to it. Now that's one way to start over a piece of property, right? Which is what Pharaoh's really doing. But by the time he gives it to, 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 to Solomon, has anything began to really be rebuilt on it? No, this is all current stuff, right? So, so, so what did Solomon get for the daughter? A piece of burned up land. Do you think he knew that at the time? He got hosed, you could say, right? Now he did. Because I guarantee, and this is what I point out, I guarantee his motive, his motive was to get, 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 get. I mean, look at all the stuff that's listed in chapter 9, chapter 10. I want to get, 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 right? I can get more, I'll marry her. Then he goes, I bet he's like here. I bet he goes and checks out the land. Ah, oh, crap, I got screwed again, right? Bad business deal, right? Write it off as a loss to a tax guy. We'll, we'll redo it again next year, okay? But But here's the significant part, guys. Pharaoh from Egypt, a Gentile, is doing what God's people were supposed to do. Maybe you remember back in Judges chapter 1. It says, And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer, so the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. That was uh, Judges chapter 1, verse 29, right? This is cool, guys. This is a little bit of foreshadowing, I think, right? The Gentiles do for the kingdom what the people themselves were supposed to have done. Now, is that not a little bit of foreshadowing for what's coming up in the New Testament? Huh? Do we see this? It's good stuff, man. Verse 19, 
Let's get down 19 so we can get some, get some stuff rolling here. Verse 19, what's he say? All the storage cities. This is great. Solomon's an idiot. Right? I'm serious. All the storage cities that belong to Solomon. The chariot cities. Now, I'm going to get to it in a minute when he lists this stuff in chapter 10. But what's a king not supposed to have? Three things specifically that I told you guys at the beginning Solomon will get. You know one of them's going to be women because we've mentioned it. Okay, so wives, horses. No. Like you said chariot, pastor. It's chariot. No. My point saying chariot is what pulls a chariot. You guys didn't even cheat good. See, all you had to know, right? What's the last thing? Gold. Right? Gold. That's three things. Don't acquire more gold. Don't acquire horses. Don't acquire more wives. Solomon's going to break all three of them. We said that a couple times already. But look, look what he says. He's got so many chariots, which had to be pulled by, okay, horses, that they had to have their own city that they stayed in. Yeah. I'm glad you're catching it, right? It's like he had a storage place full of chariots. So many chariots fit in there, it couldn't fit none of the horses because what's the next part say? The Calvary cities. What was the Calvary? That's people who ride horses. Now you can say, everybody's like, I'm scared to say horses. It's okay to say it when you're right. All right? Calvary city. So he's got a whole other city to hold all that stuff. So he's got to call the Calvary to come over and hook up to the chariots. That's how much stuff he's got. And, and it goes on, right? Chariot cities, Calvary cities. Uh, and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, Lebanon, or anywhere else in the land of his dominion. You know what this verse is saying? Solomon could have anything he wanted. How many of us have been foolish enough to have that thought? You know how happy I'd be if I just have anything I wanted? We've had it. Let's just be honest. Don't shake your head and know like you're holier than thou. Okay? We've had it. Maybe you don't have it like right now because you're in church and already feel condemned, but you've had it before. All right? We've had that thought. Man, if I could just have... If I could just have that, if I could just get this job contract, if I could just get this new job, if I could just get that woman, if I could just have better kids, if I could just have this amount of money in the bank, if I could just have this retirement, if I could just go on this trip. We always come up with this stuff. I could just, if I could just, if I could just. The verse says Solomon could have, he could build anything he wanted. Meaning this, he's acquired so much money now, but he can't spend it all before he dies. But does he die the wisest man? Or does he die a foolish person spiritually right he makes some mistakes man he makes some big mistakes right and all the writers doing and all this when he, when he says about these cities and all these he's showing off solomon's wealth he's just showing it off man because then he gets to verse 20 not only does he have all this wealth but he's like and all the people who were left amorites hittites uh pezzarites hivites jebusites pepsicolakites colites spriteites uh everybody else right from these solomon raised a labor force as it is to this day. No, not today, that day, right? Here's another compromise, though. Another compromise, right? What did God strictly command them not to do? Don't you take the tribes from those lands and use them. You get rid of them, right? But, what, but what's he doing? Now, here's specifically what happens, guys. He, he's a people's leader, right? He prayed for wisdom on how to judge the people and keep the people happy. If your king was going to make you do the work, or if he was going to get a bunch of slaves to do the work, which way would you rather it be? And we can all agree, right? That That's his problem. And sometimes that's our problem as a church. We okay with somebody else doing what we're supposed to be doing. 
says that he had to acquire all these slaves to get the job done. And if you, if you study this in Chronicles and some of the other historical writings of the same area and stuff, okay, what he's saying is they got all these slaves doing the work and the Israelites were just like uh, uh, CEOs watching and making sure everything happened. They were bosses doing nothing. The problem is a boss get lazy enough, long enough, what happens to a boss? You don't need him no more. He don't even check on stuff if we're honest, right? There's where they were getting. So I'm not saying there's not supposed to be some overseers and, and some people that should be checking out stuff. What I'm saying is this. Their problem, like the church's problem sometimes, is we're okay with outsiders doing what we're supposed to be doing as insiders. Now, we're supposed to make the outsiders insiders, so then they can become part of the workforce, right? But, but first, first, we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing, right? This is not what God commanded them to do, man. This is huge. This is problem. They had a failure to drive out the people, which begins to lead to the downfall. It's red lights everywhere. The same way the same people are being left in the same land doing what they were supposed to not do. It's a symbol and a picture of the downfall of Solomon. He's not walking in the ways of the Lord and the kingdom is beginning to slip from his hand. And he doesn't even know it. I can really relate him to, to Samson right here, guys. You remember when Samson woke up and his hair had been cut and he didn't even know the power had left him? Man, how, how scary of a place does it have to be that we don't even know the power is leaving us? That our closest with God is leaving us, right? 25 through 28. It lists Solomon's, his other activities. It talks about what he builds for, 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 for his, his princess that now is his wife. And then in verse 25, probably our last verse before we jump into the 10 really. Verse 25, I, I got, I got hull written down. What's 25 say? Look at it. Three times a year, Solomon offered burnt offerings of fellowship. Offerings on the altar that he built to Yahweh, for Yahweh. And he burned uh, incense with them in Yahweh's presence. So he completed the temple. Well, you, you got a couple problems right here. One, if he's the one doing it, he's not allowed to. Okay? Now, I understand you could read it as in Solomon like orchestrated it. He's like headed up. So I'm okay with that if that's what happened. Right? But, but, but it says he did it. If he did it, he ain't allowed to do it. Who's allowed to do it? Priest. Right? So is he a priest? No. Okay? So downward Saul, he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Second thing is this, even if he's the one heading it up and somebody else's, the priests are actually doing the, the offering and burning stuff and everything, right? What's really happening? Solomon is falling, yet he's offering offerings. He's on a downward spiral right now, guys. Now, you got to read a little bit of Chronicles, and, and, and I tell you all the time, you're right. You know what he's doing? i tell you what he's doing. This is the best illustration I can think of for you. He's mouthwashing it. Y'all ever mouthwash it? I know some of the men do. I don't know if Joe Biden uses mouthwash or not, but here's what mouthwashing it is. I don't even know where that's going politically, okay? <laughs> here's where that's going. You ever wake up late for work? You don't have time to brush your teeth, so you mouthwash? All the women are like, ew, no, never. I'll be 55 minutes late before I do. Yes, we know you will, right? Any man in the room with me, and they put a little mouthwash, or at least gargled water because you didn't have mouthwash, Nobody, really? Am I the only disgusting person in the room? Doug, thank you, Doug. Me and Doug, the most disgusting men at Brookhaven Fellowship. Woo! We're the only manly men, Doug. That's what it is. Right? The other guys do it. They're afraid to admit it because their wives won't kiss them anymore. All right? Here's what I'm calling this, guys. All he's doing is covering up stench. He's covering up stench. My mouth is just as nasty after I mouthwash without using a toothbrush. All I did was kill some, some, any, any, whatever that stuff in there, the mouthwash bottle says it kills. Right? I've done that and that's about it. 
Okay, I hadn't scrubbed any of the grime off my teeth, hadn't, you know, hadn't brushed my tongue, got all those nasty germs out from the night before sleeping. No, no, it's gone. All I did was cover up a stench. Is that not what we do sometimes when we try to do something good while we're in the middle of doing something bad? Right? Let's get real for a minute now, right? How many times have we tried to do something good to cover up something bad? How many times have we done something to make us feel better? But we haven't truly repented. You know, one of the, I guess you call it the curse of moving from where you guys sit to where I am. Is I watch who comes to the altar and I'm dumb enough still to get so excited about the change of a life that's going to happen that week. And then I watch that person still be an idiot. Now, now don't get mad at yourself. Just be honest, right? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just going to tell it like it is. Okay. There's been so many times that I've seen somebody that I've been praying for and they finally, I don't even care if they make it down. I see them break down at their seat. You got to come to, come to here to get right. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, I get like a praise break going on on the inside, right? I can't let everybody know, but I saw it, right? I'm like, yeah, it's going to be such a good week, man. Four days later, I either get a call from them or their spouse or family member or somebody else. You won't believe what he's done now. God dog it. Why? Because we think religious show can cut it up. You don't, you, 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 you've been out of church for a while, so you come. I'll make my once a month appearance. You've been coming and not playing the game, so you even think you'll get into worship. I'll raise my hands. I'll look holier than thou. Man, God gets so disgusted with this. You want to talk about this being a warning? God gets so disgusted with this that when we get to the book of Isaiah and the prophet Isaiah, he tells them flat out, stop ripping your clothes and stop sacrificing stuff to me. He gets so sick of it, he says, just stop. I don't even want your sacrifices anymore because they make me sick. Do we understand that? No, we don't do sacrifices, but maybe that's your offering or, or maybe that's your, your, your time with God or, you know, maybe you look at it as like the sacrifice. Oh, I'll sacrifice something. I'll, I'll, I'll bake some cookies and take it to the neighbor. Yeah, you did it for selfish motives, though. You didn't do it to share the love of Christ. You did it to make yourself feel better for a moment. Right? Come on, let's be real now. Okay? And, and that, that's where he's getting at. Isaiah says it this way. He goes, I wish you guys would stop ripping your clothes. For those of you who don't understand where I'm going, they would rip their clothes as a sign of mourning. Okay, so you get some more study going on to understand everything, right? But he tells them, and Isaiah tells them, God tells Isaiah to tell them. He said, tell them to stop ripping their clothes and start ripping their hearts. That's us. Stop coming up here, you little baby tears, acting like you got some emotions going, and let God rip your heart in half. Now, I understand when God rips your heart, there may be some tears, okay? So I'm not getting on somebody who had some real repentance turn around and had to cry about it. That's okay. I've been there. What I'm talking about is those of us that do it for show. Those of us that go back and try to sound more holier now and we use the excuse, oh, didn't you see me at the altar? Didn't you see me at church on Sunday? Yeah, so did I with a lot of other heathens. Okay? So did I with a lot of other people I'd like to choke out half the time probably if you knew what was going on in their personal lives. Pastor, you're being really real. Yeah. Well, why not? You know what I'm saying? Y'all have already appreciated me, so now you don't have to. Good news. You got one more year to acquire a taste for me one more time, right? Man, look at this thing, man. Let's get it. Stop playing church. Stop playing religious activity. That's what God said. Verse 29. Look, Just look at verse 29, man. That, golly, I said I wasn't going to read anymore, but I got to look at 29 because we don't even have a 29. If you're going to be a pastor, get your notes right. What verse is it? <laughs> verse 26. 
really includes all of them, I guess we could say, right? He offers his word, 26. He builds his, these boats together. What's he building these boats for? 27. With this fleet, he, you know you got to be one greedy fella to build boats, to send out a fleet to do what? Get more, what's it say? Stuff. So they went and they acquired more gold, 16 more tons, and they delivered it to Solomon. Like he didn't have enough gold already. The guy already said a couple verses ago that he's got so much he couldn't spend it all if he wanted to right now. Can you imagine being in that situation? You've got so much money you can't spend it all before you die. But that's where he's at. But he still has got to go get more. My, po- my point is this. Are we reading this and understanding what God's given us? Or, or are we just reading this like, oh, man, that's, that's too bad for Solomon. What a history lesson. You know, I'm so glad that God takes his servants that he uses in Scripture and doesn't hide stuff about them. I'm so glad we'll have somebody that you may have didn't know that there was had, had an addiction problem that will say that. I'm so glad Wednesday night when another brother will admit his addiction in front of people to help build them up. I'm so glad that we're going to end this year. So, so thinking about it right now, there's an announcement I've been forgetting to make. We're going to end this year doing like we used to do, where we just have testimonies all, all of December and a little bit of November, maybe we'll get enough people. Because I'm going to tell you right now, you can argue with me all day long. You can even argue with this. You won't win. You won't be right, but you can argue with it. You want to know what you can argue with as a testimony. I tell you, you can't. You can't argue with the fact that God's changed somebody's life. You can try to, but you can't. So, so, so we're going to get back to that. But, but that, that, this is where we're at with Solomon. God doesn't hide anything about David. He doesn't hide anything about Solomon. He, he reveals all their trash, all their dirty laundry. Why? So that you and I can benefit from it. You know, that's God's only reason. Could you imagine? It? And I don't know where Solomon is. Okay, so quit. People have already, well, you said sometimes in Ecclesiastes he does. Yeah, I'll give you something he wrote in Ecclesiastes that does make me think some stuff, okay? But I don't know. I don't get to know. I'm not God, right? But if he is, could you imagine God chilling with Solomon one day? It, it, it just telling him, hey, that guy was wiser than you, <laughs> right? But, but here's what he had to say. He's wiser than you because I shared your dirty laundry with him so he could learn from it. Wow, Right? How good is it? How good is it to be able to share your dirty laundry so that somebody else doesn't have to walk the same path you took? Now, if we hear these warning signs and don't do anything about them, then we failed. But if we grab a hold of them, man, that's where we're at. All right, chapter 10, we got, wow, six minutes. Good thing. We've done most of chapter 10 already and a lot of chapter 10s repeat. All right, ready? Let's go. Chapter 10. A few weeks back when we did chapter 4, we looked at it talking about worldwide wisdom. Queen Sheba comes. She wants to check out what's going on. Hey, what's all this stuff with Solomon? Not, not only does she come wanting to check out what all he's built, she wants to check out his knowledge. Remember it says that she came to quizzing. You know, things like, hey, when the uh, when the Hulk becomes the Hulk, how come his shirt rips but his pants never do? You know, all those kind of questions that she comes up with, right? Y'all aren't Hulk fans, y'all didn't get, I really, y'all need to watch Avengers more, all right? Here, here's, what, here's, what, here's the real thing we give with she, right? She comes as a, as a seeker example. There's, there's different types of people. She's a seeker. She is seeking what's going on. She's been impressed by Solomon, and she's seeking it out. What does Solomon do, though? The first part we know is he flashes his wealth, his splendor, and him personally before her. Now, now here's the big lesson, guys. Maybe not so much for us, but a lot of, a lot of the, world, the worldwide church, whatever you want to call it. This shows that impressing seekers with facilities and programs, organizations, and professionalism isn't enough. Because what does she do? Now, I know when we looked at it a while ago, we said, you know, she did acknowledge that Yahweh was in control and how she does. I got a lot of friends that do, too, that I know were lost and not part of the kingdom. OK. Right. So she acknowledged that. But 
But it also says that she just went back to her kingdom doing what she had been doing. So there's no, there's no changed lifestyle. Not a changed lifestyle, there's no Christ. Okay? It's that simple, that easy. All right, so she gets there. So our flashy stuff isn't going to be enough to keep people changed forever. But they, they've got to see real life change. All right. Then, then we skip down to 10 through 13. We see the gifts that she brings. Well, if you got all this stuff going, I want to give you some gifts. I admire what you're doing. Da, 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 da. Maybe she's looking for more in return. There is some uh, wise tales. that talk about her wanting a kid with Solomon and all that. Study it out. Check it out. Right. I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying it's out there. 14 through 15. Then we get to Solomon's yearly income. Yeah, everybody say yearly. What do you make a year? I'm just kidding. Don't say that. All. <laughs> this is his yearly income. 666 talents of gold. 25 tons of gold. Anyone want to take a guess what that could be close to in today's money? A billion dollars. Literally. This guy makes a billion dollars a year. And keep in mind, every third year that we read in chapter 9, every third year he gets another 16 tons of gold. Which would be what, like three quarter of a billion dollars then. Right? This is a lot of money coming in. But I gotta point this out, and I'm not saying this is what it is. I'm just getting you to check scripture out. Everybody understand that? I got your attention, you're with me. I don't go on pastor. No, I'm saying check it out. What, what number do they use? 666. Oh, all the red lights are going, holy cow, right? Ding, 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 ding. This is the only time other than Revelation where a guy's associated with this number. Now, I'm not saying he's the Antichrist. I'm not saying he's going to be reincarnated to become the Antichrist or any of the foolish ideas that's all over Google, okay? All I'm saying is, is maybe there's a connection here that God's trying to show us some stuff. And maybe the one I got, right, I got more, but the, the one I got that I think is foolproof that we'll share is possibly the spirit of the Antichrist rather than just one person or however you want to look. I don't care, right? Study it out, check yourself. But, but the spirit of that and the, the, the person that, whatever, maybe he's going to start as this really good person and then get corrupted. That's starting to make a little more sense. See, sometimes I think in, I think in our culture, we get like this idea that, oh, the Antichrist is going to be born. He's going to be evil and he's going to have horns and a tail. No. He's got horns and a tail when he's born. He's going to be in like a science lab. He's not going to be out there for to be able to lead, right? His spirit, you know, the, 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 I'm trying to stay away from that, that kind of stuff because I don't, anyway. What I want you to understand is this, the spirit of the Antichrist. What if it's, if, if it's when something so good becomes so poor? Meaning this, that they get so successful. This is what happens to Solomon, guys. He gets so successful that he forgets about God. He starts trusting in his own stuff. He starts wanting more of his own stuff. And even people from foreign lands begin to come and check him out because of this. Now, don't you think if we're going to have that kind of spirit take over, it would be people from foreign lands wanting to check out good stuff rather than bad stuff? Making sense? We getting an idea? If nothing else, I guarantee somebody's going to go check something out and study Revelation finally. Right? Do it. Do it. Check stuff out. Right? All right. So we get further here. Warning signal. All right. Here, here's where we get into the more stuff. He, get, he gets the talents of gold. What did Deuteronomy chapter 17 say? Man shall not multiply for himself silver or gold. Now, now, if you read this thing, or if you're new release for listening to what Anne-Marie was reading, it says that they get so much silver that it becomes like stones on the road. <laughs> yeah, oh my. What? He's got so much silver that it's just like rocks on the ground. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you came to visit, you would fill up your bag and leave it. They wouldn't need no difference. It'd be like you picked dirt up off the ground. That's how much silver they've been. So I think he's done some acquiring. 
He's steady acquiring this gold. Yet, yet the writer thinks we know that Deuteronomy said what? You shall not accommodate these things for yourself. It's a warning sign. Warning sign. You're doing something you're not supposed to do. There's a danger here. Your treasure. Where is your treasure? Well, it's becoming something of this world rather than God. What is your treasure? What is your treasure? What is really your treasure? Check it out. Because if you can't answer that, that's in trouble. If you're treasure of this world, you're in trouble. Right? 10 through 16. We get more examples of his wealth and his prosperity. And we get a warning. And here, here's the biggest warning we see, guys. Nothing else for the rest of Solomon ever goes back to the temple. It's a massive thing he's built. So impressive that you guys remember later when they rebuild it, the old people get mad, but it's not as good as the first one, right? But nothing else talks about it. All the rest of Solomon's life talks about the focal point of his life is him. Him, 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 him. His stuff, his stuff, his stuff, his stuff. When your focal point turns from God to self, stuff you can gain, stuff you got, you're in trouble. Warning sign, warning sign, right? Fascinating right here, right? He, he's writing this down. And, 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 and when he writes this, keep in mind, we, we, I know we blew through Sheba. Sheba herself talking about, man, Yahweh has blessed you and put you here. Like she knew he shouldn't have been there by his bloodline. He, he wasn't, remember, he wasn't the first son, second son, third son, fourth son, sixth son, right? You shouldn't be here. God put you here. She's acknowledging that. God's giving you these blessings. She's acknowledging it. A Gentile's acknowledging it. Yes, yet Solomon is losing his understanding of how blessed he was by God. Do, do we sometimes understand that we can be so blessed that we forget about God and just worry about the gifts? You know, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a prayer written in Scripture, and it's one that we should all practice praying. It says, God, now I'm not going to get the wording right, so you guys check it out yourself, okay? But I'll get the meaning. It says, God, I want you to give me just enough where I'm not starving. So that I don't do bad things to get money, right? But I don't want you to give me enough where I don't need you anymore. Now that's a prayer. That's a prayer. God, don't, don't make me so rich where I don't need you, but, but don't make me so poor that, that I'm tempted to do bad stuff. Keep, keep me right there. Now you're already one of the 1% of the world just by being in America. I hope you understand that. Right? Which is why Jesus sometimes says, man, this, not impossible by the way. Everybody says, oh, it's possible for a rich person to get saved. No, it's not says it's going to be harder for a rich person to get saved. Okay, it's going to be harder for a rich person to join the kingdom. Why? Because they got other stuff they can rely on. You want to know why it's easy to find Jesus when you're broken? Because you need him. I mean, it ain't rocket science, right? The, the, the clue then is to make sure you still need him when you got plenty. All right? Make sure you understand how you got out the hole. All right? We go into that for a whole other thing. Solomon violates all of them. We know he's going to violate the wives. He violates the gold. We've already talked about the horses. Verse 16 repeats it again. Uh, back to the gold. I'm sorry. I just point this out because it's kind of humorous. 200 large shields of hammered gold, 300 shields of hammered gold, right? He's building all this awesome stuff to hang on a wall. Now you're thinking, that ain't much. Here's what you understand. Gold would be way too heavy to tote into battle, way too soft to, to, to resist the, the impact that it would come at it, right? So it's useless. It's all for show. A guy who's never been a warrior has an image of a warrior hanging in his house. Now we understand in what this guy's all about image, man, right? Think about it. Think about it. It'd be like if we was to hang up like trophies of somebody else won all over our house. Visitor come by. How'd you get that trophy? Oh, that's not really mine. I'm borrowing it from a friend. You got a trophy from a friend hanging up in your house? Yeah, I was hoping you'd think it was mine and wouldn't ask. Right? What? Come on, man. Right? You, you can't go that way. Verse 26. Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had one... Uh, 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. David, who had a more need for military, didn't have this. 
Solomon does. It even says this, that Solomon what, never really had to defend himself. The whole time Solomon's king, but there's a lot of peace going on. Now, and what does, what does the scripture warn us back in there? Why did he not want kings to acquire more horses? Because then it required, or then it looked like at least the perception of your military being strong, right? So you're self-sufficient. Does God want us to be self-sufficient? No. He wants us to depend on him, right? Because of who he is. And then because of what he can do. All right? Get the order right. So, so we got that going on. We got this understanding. All pieces there because they're self-sufficient. Uh, the king made silver as, as the stones. That's verse 27. We already talked about that. <laughs> I, and I got to point this out for us. Solomon's original wish. What was it? First time God appears. You can have anything you want. What does he say? He doesn't say riches. He doesn't even say power. I want the wisdom to judge your people and discern your people and lead your people the right way. The reason I'm pointing this out, guys, because all this other stuff comes after. And I want you to understand this. I don't care how wise you are, how smart you think you are, how would you use that word intellectual uh, you are. I, there's no way anybody would ever describe me that way. Intellectual. What? Uh, you know, <laughs> you got all that going. The flesh is powerful. The flesh is powerful. Okay. I'm talking about when we're talking about like everything in life, the, the, the greed for money, the greed for power, the greed for women or man, whatever, whatever your old cup of tea is. Right. You can say, oh, no, oh, I would never do this. I would never do this. You keep playing with fire. You get burned eventually. Understand it. There's warnings. OK, we're going to get into it a little more. But you want to you want to know why God is so against it. We don't preach anymore except for on Wednesday night. We've gotten real close and intimate. Right. But I'm telling you right now, you want to know, like, we don't why, why, why it's so important. To not have sex and all before marriage? And people quiz all the time. Well, is that verse actually in the Bible? No, but the idea is. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to. I've had youth ask me before, like, where's that verse at, man? So I can so I can write it down and share it with my friends. There's not a verse in there that says it. I hate to spoil like, Oh, God. Don't say that in front of my kid. Let's just be honest with our kids. There is no verse that says, thou shalt not have sex before marriage. But there's a lot of verses that say, watch your sexual integrity. Okay, right? Which means what? Maybe you should be a one-woman man, right? This is what it's talking about, right? Let's just be honest about what Scripture says, man. I don't want to manipulate Scripture to say phrases that we use because it sounds good. Let's say what the Bible says. Sometimes I think like we think we can say it better than God. Yeah, but we've been saying it that way for years, Pastor. We've well, been saying it wrong. If you got the verse, share it with me. Anybody? Because there's not a verse that says it that way. I've checked it out a hundred million times. Okay? Now I can prove why you shouldn't. I'm not, I'm, anybody understand this? I am not any of you young men, especially I'll use my boys as an example. I don't want you to feel weird while you're looking at me, okay? You don't have sex before marriage. Okay? I'm not saying you have sex before marriage. I'm saying let's not make the Bible say something it doesn't say. Are we fair? Okay. Everybody's like, just move on from sex, man. I'm feeling uncomfortable. I don't know why you feel uncomfortable. We talk about it everywhere else. All right? Here we go. Get back in. We're going to talk about it on Wednesday. Right? Everybody's like, I'm coming to this Wednesday study now, man. Right? You've missed all the fun. Right? Here's what you got to check out. Though. We talk about testimonies. So we know Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, right? If you didn't, now you know it. Ecclesiastes is like his journal. All he's doing is recording all this stuff. You know what he says in Ecclesiastes that I love? Like one of my favorite things to share with people. You had a guy who what? He had all that he could ever want. That's, that's, what, that's what chapter 9 and chapter 9 said, right? He says when he writes his journal, he says, I've tried everything. Now, you use your discretion on what everything means that he tried, okay? I don't know what all he tried. But he says, I tried it all. 
And I found no satisfaction in any of it. It's kind of where I get my idea. And again, I'm not saying Solomon's part of the kingdom. I'm not saying he's not part of the kingdom. Okay, I don't care. I do care, but I, like, I don't care as far as the, the, the fine line on that. What I want to make sure we understand is there comes a point in Solomon's life where at the end when he's writing this stuff that he acknowledges the fact all the junk I tried amounted to nothing. It was like a breeze blowing. And he includes that, that thing about the knots where he knows that God had to be the third strand to keep everything. There's a lot of good stuff in there. You want to know where, where we, we get all our warnings about be, being afraid of wealth? Proverbs. You want to know who wrote Proverbs or a lot of it? Solomon. You're talking, you're getting it straight from the horse's mouth, man. A guy who had it all in is warning you about it. Right? Big warnings. 28 and 29, we get this, this interest in the horses. Solomon had horses uh, imported from Egypt and, and this place. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 17, 16, direct disobedience to what God told him not to do. And here's what I, I just got to point out for us at the end. Last one, I promise. 29. He said they exported them to the kings and the Hittites and the kings in Syria. You know what that is? That's excuses. Why? Because Solomon knew, whether he wants to admit it or not, he knew what the rules were. He knew he wasn't supposed to be acquiring this stuff. And when he says this, I think he's saying, I really believe it this way. I think he's, he's talking about trade. He's saying, I'm importing the horses, but I'm not doing it myself. What's he saying? I'm not breaking God's command. I'm bending the rules. Oh. How many times do we substitute gross disobedience for our sorry rationalizations? Huh? We do it all the time. All the time, man. Compromise, compromise, compromise. Now, you'll never hear me tell you that compromise should not be in the dictionary of a Christian. I heard a guy preach that one time. Just rip it out. Well, you're not going to be married very long if you don't compromise. Okay, so compromise should be in the dictionary. Let's just make sure we compromise on the right stuff and not the wrong stuff, all right? Verse 2. Verse 29, it gets even deeper, though, because he, he's doing all this stuff with the, with the Hittites and the Syrians. And what we're going to find out like seven years from now, when we make it to Second Kings. <laughs> Second Kings chapter seven, verse six, it, it says that the Hittites were becoming powerful, that they were they were throughout all the kings in, in their account. And, and then the Syrians began to act as a threat against the people. So uh, chapter 11, we're going to see some of that. Chapter 20, we're going to see some of that. Chapter 22, we're going to see some of that. All this going. Here's what's sad. And all of Solomon's wisdom. He's now funding his own enemies because of greed. He funds his own enemies because of greed. How much fuel do you give the enemy over you? Because of your greed for something else. Huh? Right? When, 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 when the Lord tells us not to store up treasure on this earth, <laughs> he means it. All right? There's a, there's a lot of lessons for you and I in this section. By the way, I did a whole chapter in 14 minutes, so I was still a little over, but it's pretty good, right? There, there's, there's a lot in this chapter. There's warnings uh, against the greed. There's warning against not following God's word to a T. Well, I can do what parts I want to do. No, you can't. To be partial disobedient is to be disobedient. It goes like the loyalty in a marriage. To be partially loyal? What is that? I don't want a partially loyal wife. She'd have been up front with me this morning with some black eyes, right? You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you, I'm just kidding. I'd have beat up whoever the guy was. I don't believe in hitting a woman yet. <laughs> Guys, it, where, where are you at? Do, do you need to understand that you got to follow God's word to see? Do you need to understand that the, the greed and stuff is, is a warning sign? For you? What is your warning sign? Right now, as they sing this song and I pray, if nothing else, you take a moment, moment of complete quietness to the Lord and just ask him, what warning signs has he given you that you need to pay attention to?
because I think we've been ignoring too many of them. Let's pray. Father God, I love you so much. I thank you for this chapter, Lord God. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example, Solomon. I thank you that you don't hide the flaws of your people in Scripture. But Lord, now I pray more than anything else that you open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds to see what the warning signs are for ourselves. God, make known the areas we're not supposed to go. God, make known the the boundaries that we're not supposed to cross. God, make known where we've been playing with fire too long. God, I pray right now that you break us in such a serious, intimate, spiritual level, Lord God. God, just like you did with with your temple, Lord God, that, that, that you sanctify us. God, do you take the, the physical words that I've been saying and, and you hit areas that I can't hit with your spirit right now and your people? Lord, I pray that you move in such a mighty way right now and throughout the course of today, tomorrow, and the rest of this week, Lord God. That we have to come with terms with the flashing lights that are going on our dash. Lord, grow us, equip us. And then, Lord God, make sure that we know you've given us the power to overcome them. In your great name we pray. Amen.